Frank Network. Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Bryan here and welcome to Doc Talks. We talk about people's troubles, trials, tribulations, and triumphs in life. Today with me, I have David and Stacy. Is it Howell? Howell, that, yes. That's the way you say it. And uh, we're going to talk today a little bit about something that's near and dear to my heart. As many of our listeners know, my wife and I adopted our son, and, and David and Stacy have have embarked on this journey and, and been through it right along with us. So we're glad to have you here today to tell your story. Oh, we're great to be. Glad to be here. So you have, I think we talked about, um, you have a total of six children. Is that right? Yes. But they're not all adopted. No, we have three biological children uh, between the ages of 13 and 18. And then we have the uh, three adopted uh, daughters, the twin six-year-olds and a five-year-old. Okay. So what made you want to adopt? Adoption was actually something we talked about um, before we were even married. David um, is adopted by his stepfather, and that made such a huge impact on his life. And that was something that we had talked about and just kind of felt like God had laid on our heart before our marriage even began. So from time to time, um, over the first 10 years, we kind of revisited that idea and decided that when our youngest of our oldest three was around seven or eight years old, then maybe we would revisit it again. And at that time we did, and we found that felt like it was the right time to move forward with that because we wanted our older children to be a part of it, of the process and to understand what we were doing and why we were doing it. If I recall part of your story, you went and you had planned on adopting one boy. <laughs> yes. So the thought process, we had two daughters and one son, and we just said we were going to, you know, Ado try and adopt a little boy between the ages of four and six years old, so he'd still be younger than our, our youngest. And through the process, we came out with uh, three beautiful little girls all under the age of two. So our son, who's 15 now, I, I think he may have trust issues with me and uh, <laughs> Stacy <laughs> throughout the yeah. years, but he loves them just as much. So, so you ended up with uh, five girls and one boy? That's yes. right. What a household. What a household. <laughs> it there's, is. There's a lot of estrogen flowing. Severely so outnumbered. Now yeah. I have three sisters, so I, I grew up outnumbered, so I'm kind of used to it. Yeah. So uh, you said you kind of, with with David's story of being adopted, that kind of really impacted you to adopt. And um, we know statistically in, in the United States, there's about 400,000 kids in foster care at any given moment. And so there's this incredible need uh, for foster parents and adoptive parents. And so what was that process like to even get, get started to be able to be considered to adopt? Well, originally we had um, always thought we would adopt from overseas. And then I had a client, um, I was photographing, I'm a photographer, 
and she happened to um, be a foster mom and had some new placements in her home. And that's really who I learned that there were kids in our own state that were up for adoption that lived in the foster care system because they had no home. That's what got us into um, adopting through foster care to begin with. And um, there's always, it always amazes me that even right now, there's almost 400 kids in Arkansas alone that are up for adoption. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't seem like adoptions happen very quickly. Well, Absolutely not. <laughs> no. And we, and going into it, you know, one of my fears was we need to prepare financially. And the, and the fear, you know, when we looked at overseas adoption, but then when we got in and started researching, you know, wonderful organizations such as The Call and, and working with uh, foster care and the adoption, you know, for our three daughters, our only cost was the cost of a birth certificate. Right. So, I mean, it is Like free. $12.50. Yeah, I mean, it was nothing. So that's one of the biggest obstacles that I hear from people that ask me about adoption is, you know, financially, how, how could you afford to adopt three girls? I'm like, it. There, there was no charge. Right. I mean, we were lucky. Yeah, and I have my wife's cousin. They have adopted two children from overseas, and um, it's been like fifty, sixty thousand dollars to adopt a child. But it seems to be a lot easier to do international adoption than it does here in the states. Yeah, and there's nothing. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with it, and that that has its own niche and need. And and I'm. I'm excited for the families that that are able to do it, but for us, that was a big obstacle that we were looking at that that was no longer there. Right when we got into it. So, uh, as I said, my my son is adopted, and so when we started all that paperwork, you may remember there was this form that was a yes, no, or we'll discuss, and it talked about everything from race to gender to uh, whether or not they had had been born dependent on a drug or had fetal alcohol syndrome or uh, mental health issues, you know, depending on the child. And it's like a five or six page form. And how did, when you begin, I, I can tell you from my experience, when I begin reading these things, I'm going, surely a child hasn't been through this can't be this. And so when we got to looking at it, well, there was a very, a narrow thing of what we were willing to say, okay, we will do this, but not this. How did that affect both of you? I don't think that that had too much impact on us personally. Having already had three kids, we kind of know that every kid is completely different. Um, Every kid has their own needs and it's going to be different from their brother or sister. You know, you get that form, but you're also going through these um, like what, like 70 hours or something of what they call pride classes where you're learning about trauma and maybe some of these things these kids have been through. And uh, you also get a sheet and it talks about what they call ACEs, which are like things, boxes you can check off. And it kind of the, the more boxes you check off, the more trauma, you know, would be in your life. And as we were going through those, I kind of it kind of brought back up even things from my own life that I had kind of blocked out. And so, you know, not having like the fairyhood childhood, my the fairy, you know, childhood myself, like it maybe 
that's the reason it didn't have such a big impact on us or didn't scare us or shock us reading some of those things. We pretty much left ours mostly open, like we'll discuss. Um, We were told like some of those things like hearing impaired, well, maybe they just need a hearing aid or, you know, maybe they wear eyeglasses or, you know, things like that. So we try to leave it very, very open. But then there are things on there that are very terminal in some cases, such as cerebral palsy, or they have muscular dystrophy, or they have HIV or AIDS or some other type of infectious disease. And so it really, at least for us, uh, my wife is a nurse and and uh, I do what I do. So we're kind of exposed to that already. But I hate to say it, but we really didn't want to just bring that into our home. If that's I hope that's not a, a a bad thing to say at all. But, you know, even in our own home, we still got to be protective of those things. And I couldn't imagine having already uh, three kids in the home of your of your own biologically and and having this possibility enter into the picture. Well, one thing we said from the start was that we weren't Within our control, we weren't going to let any of our older children ever be able to say that adopting and expanding our family, and they were all on board 100%, that it ever had any impact in a negative way on their childhood. So it may mean one of us going off by ourselves to go do this event or or that, or it may mean dragging you know three toddlers and, and strollers to, to the football games. Uh, but we still made sure that happened. But yeah, I understand completely what you're saying because it does. Uh, one thing that sometimes we forget is it impacts everybody and it impacts your immediate family. And mm-hmm. just because you feel called to adopt uh, as a couple doesn't necessarily mean that your siblings feel right. called to you being the adoptee. And so, you know, it impacts everybody. And so you can't really expect everybody to immediately be on board just because you feel like that's the path that that God's told you to do. Right. So. Yeah. Um, in, in our situation, I'm, I'm not going to tell you it was my in-laws, but we had family that was completely against it oh, and yeah. was very angry that we were even considering it. And, and I'm going, you, you know, look, um, we want to have a child. We can't have children. But what else are we going to do? And there is those cases where uh, which your girls were two when you adopted them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are those cases where at two years old, there could be mental health issues that that aren't even apparent that could turn into major detriments as they get older. And, and I think that a lot of times we have to look at those things and say, uh, okay, is this the right thing? Is this the wrong thing? And, and that's where we rely on our faith to, to guide us there. But in your situation, you said you were looking for a boy, but you ended up with three girls. Yes. So how did that how did that happen? You know, every adoption story is different and ours for sure definitely is different than than everyone else's. So um we have been where we were, this has been, you know, five, six years ago at this point. We were very vocal on social media about what we were doing and why we were doing it. And that was mainly to bring more awareness. Um, to the need of adopting out of foster care in our state and just opening 
you know, people's eyes that this exists because it's kind of like a different world <laughs> um, that we, that I had no idea even existed before we started. When our home was finally completely open, we had originally signed up to do adoption only. And I had posted on Facebook that um, our home was open and all of our paperwork was done. And almost immediately, I had a friend from high school who I hadn't spoken to in several years um, send us a Facebook message. And she had been fostering our twins for about a year. They went into foster care as infants. And she they were her great nieces. She wondered if maybe, you know, we would be interested in taking them. And because um, she had been told by their caseworker that, you know, it was headed towards adoption and she wanted to be in their life, but she did not want to be there, you know, didn't feel called to be their mother. And um, so that's kind of where that started. And then we found out that they had a baby sister. Yeah, it just kind of went from there. I mean, she sent us a picture and we looked at the picture and all five of us in our household, I mean, our hearts just melted. Like you, we just saw those it, those girls and there was no way we could say It no. really wasn't fair that we got the picture first. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, mean, you always hear about love at first sight for like your husband or your wife. But I mean, for those twins, I mean, it was definitely love at first sight. Yeah, we did not get a picture of my son. We uh, The day we got him was the first day we'd ever seen him. And uh, now in the state of Arkansas, and it may have been different if if for you, but for us, he was allowed to come to our house the first day for like 12 hours. Mm -hmm. And then he went back to his foster home for one night, and then he was with us permanently. And that kind of give you a little idea of what life will be like during that first day, which is completely awkward. Did did you experience that as well? No. So thankfully, you know, we already had three kids. So, you know, parenting was not new to us by any means. However, parenting multiples definitely is a completely <laughs> different ball game. Um, so no, so they were in um, about three hours away. They were picked up from daycare and driven across the state and uh car broke down their car the dhs car broke down they were on the side of the road for a while and eventually they made their way to um up towards the northern arkansas where we live and we picked them up and that was it and funny thing about that so they came to us about a month apart so our youngest came to us uh we actually we, we drove to starbucks in benton and um on the way there realized that we need to get a gift for for the sweet little seven month old baby, and so we go into Target. We look around. We realize that we're the old couple in Target, and uh, we feel completely lost and and whatnot. But uh, we met the DHS worker at Starbucks, and that's where we picked up our youngest. And uh, so every year on her Gotcha Day, which was actually yesterday, Stacy and her go to Starbucks, and so mm. uh, the family tries to go as well. But the when the twins came, Stacy met them, picked them up, and then brought them actually to a swim meet. And so where we were at with the older kids. So from the start, they've been thrown into it. Yeah. How was that, which you you said you saw the picture and it just kind of, they melted into your heart. What was the, the feeling there? Because there had to also be some feeling of maybe hesitancy or anxiety, or was it just you knew this is what we were going to do? I knew it was what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and for, for me, I I was always able to go back that I knew that in prayer that that's what I'd felt like the Lord had told me 
uh, we were going to do. So I always had that to go back to. Um, you have to feel called to do something. Mm. So it's, parenting's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. But yeah, we we always knew. We never doubted that that was uh, perhaps a mistake. Other people looked at it, looked at us like we were crazy. It made no sense. But we always had that to go back to. Now, did you did you know at that point in time that you took them into custody or into your home why they were taken into custody? Why yes. they had been removed yes, from the home? We did. Could you share a little bit about that with us? Maybe a, a little bit. Okay. Um, we try to tell our story and not our kids' story mm. or, you know, their biological mom's story, too much of it. They were removed from the home, like most kids in Arkansas, over 90% of the kids are removed for drug usage and addiction so and and so um in the state of arkansas at any given time you will find kids in the dhs office or a police department that are staying overnight because they don't have foster homes to go to especially right now yes uh it's just absolutely crazy you said you originally set up for adoption was there a point in time where you wanted to foster or that that was an idea that was never something that we had truly thought we would do um however you know walking into this um, whole journey our thing has just been saying yes to god and we we know better you know we've been married 20 years next month and you know, the first five years, you you make all the plans you want. And then, you know, God always rips it out from underneath you because, you know, his plans are better. And so we learned pretty early on not to make definite plans in any part of our life, but just being willing to say yes when God calls us to do something without having to have it mapped out. Right. And for my wife and I, we couldn't foster because we know that we couldn't send that kid back into a situation that could possibly be like why they were taken originally. Uh, And to fall in love with that child and then to have to uh, send them home, it takes a very special person who is able to do that. So with your kids coming out of, I guess, a kinship placement, Mm -hmm. How did life change for them at that point coming into your home? Well, they were in a home. um, They were very loved by their aunt, you know, but she had recently gotten remarried, was kind of in a new journey of her own life and started a new job and her husband worked a full-time job. So um, they were basically, you know, early to late pickup daycare, you know, babies and, um, So moving in with us, uh, they spent more time like in the home. They did need some therapies. We were able to get them in the right doctor's offices at the right time to kind of get some of those things started and get them on some paths to um, catching up Hmm. where they needed to be. Yes, the two, three-year-old time frame is very imperative when when you begin to talking about development and growth and and all of those kind of issues. So that is something that that they really need to be on top of. Yes. But it does seem like the department, the DCFS, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> it does seem like they are so overworked that a lot of times those things are missed out. Oh, definitely. We we thought that that once our house was opened for adoption, I was like, all right, they're going to call tonight and they're going to have a child and and it's going to be go time. And 
But what we found out over the next couple of weeks was there was really as overworked as they are, uh, there was really no advocate for these kids. And so we really, you know, that was probably the biggest misconception that I had going into it was that we would, you know, get contacted immediately. And I talked to people pretty regularly. They're like, yeah, I, I never received that mm-hmm. uh, communication. So now one thing, though, on our on our three uh, children, even though they were all uh, siblings, uh, the the youngest was born after the the twins had already been moved into foster care. So when they came to us was the first time that the three sisters had ever actually lived together. And so oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so they they really didn't. Um, I think they probably had seen each other, but as far as being siblings and you know at seven months and two years, you really don't don't have that bond, but that's the the pretty cool thing was that was the first time they all got united in mm-hmm. one home. Yeah, I, I remember and one thing on that sheet you fill out is the age of a child that you're willing to to take. And and we really felt like it would be two years and younger that we would uh, be willing to to consider. And I remember the the caseworker looking at us and saying, Well, you may have to wait five or six years. And I'm going, so what was the rush to get us approved and to get us through all of this? And and I know people right now who have been open for adoption for five, six, seven years that have never received a phone call. And is it really truly because of their preference or is it because of the workers being overworked? Well, I've actually talked to someone about that. I've been trying to get some (laughs) changes going on over the years. So what I've come to learn and what they don't tell you when you're going through the classes is that you have adoption specialists. But what they don't tell you about the adoption specialists is that they only work for the kids. So you have adoption specialists who are assigned to who are assigned to kids who are up for adoption and they try to seek out a parent for that child. But what they don't have, what doesn't exist, is someone who advocates for the parents who are wanting to adopt. So you have no one with that takes this list of these, you know, probably close to a hundred, I would assume, parents that are wanting to adopt whose home is ready, all their paperwork's done. There's no one who who goes in and searches through the kid database to find someone who matches with the parents. And I feel like if they had someone doing that side of the job, along with someone doing the other side of the job, that maybe we could match some more of these kids up a little quicker or a little, you know, on a a, a better, more regular basis. Right. And and I think, you know, with, with programs such as uh, Project Zero here mm-hmm. in Arkansas, uh, that they have kind of opened that thought process and and Mm -hmm. having um, uh, these events where the kids who are available for adoption are there and, you know, adopt. Do you not know about this? We went to one. Okay. So (laughs) we went to one too, and it was like the most awkward Awkward. I had ever been to. That's why I looked at it like that. We walked away from that. I was like, I feel so creepy. Mm -hmm. It was... We we went away and I don't know if you've seen the movie. What was the movie? Instant Family. Instant yes. Family. Yes. Okay, they nailed it. Mm-hmm. I mean that scene Very there true. when we watched that movie. I'm watching it's just every raw emotion that I hadn't felt Absolutely. since that day. It was like, oh my gosh. So yeah, Project Zero, amazing, amazing ministry mission. I love what they do. Uh, 
But yeah, my takeaway from that event was, Lord, I cannot go back to that again. Yeah, because it almost, in a literal way, feels like you're shopping for exactly. a child. Exactly. Yes, and I mean there was, there was one instance where where I was sitting there and. They're like, just go in there. And, you know, kids are digging around the sandbox and these strange men walk up and are like, hey, kid, what's going on? I mean, you're really. <laughs> and everything creepy. we've been taught about not talking yeah, to stranger strangers is being encouraged. Exactly. And so, but there's this little boy, I'll never forget. I was sitting there just sitting on the curb talking to this little four-year-old boy, just adorable, adorable little kid. And a lady literally walks up and picks this kid up. He doesn't even know who she is. She picks him up and spins him around and hands him to another couple. It's like, here, here's the kid I wanted you to meet. And so this kid was eating ice cream with me, and she snatches him up and takes him to to, to her friends, and it was just completely awkward. And was, we wonder why a lot of these kids that have been in these situations don't have stranger danger. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, don't have boundaries. and Exactly. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, it's a good idea on the surface, but in action – it it just doesn't really work out. It's um, brilliant. It's yeah. Yeah. So what would uh, what would the solution to that problem really be? I think for for me, uh, exactly what Stacy was talking about would be an advocate that could go through and work the the active list of people that are willing. Because like you said, you have this long sheet that you fill out of of what you would be willing to uh, welcome into your home, but. It might be something as minute as, you know, on the sheet you checked, you know, no to a child with, you know, vision problems. Well, that could be just no to a child that has to wear glasses. And so somebody that could actively, you know, an organization somehow that could actively work that and be an advocate for the adoptive families to, sure. to go out there and match. And and what what I was told during pride training, and I, I don't know if if you were told the same, but they take that sheet and they upload it into a computer system, and then when a child comes into care, rights are terminated, they fill out that sheet for that child, yes, no, and then if those two papers match in this algorithm, then it spits out the name. But what I have found is that there's a whole lot less of the computer being used, and a whole lot more of who is staying in touch with an adoption specialist on the weekly and saying, hey, you know, I'm still I'm still ready to adopt. I'm still ready to do this. And, and the call here in Pulaski County was just so good to us mm-hmm. about Judy Booth over at the call would call us once or twice a week. Has anybody called you? No. Well, I know that this person is coming into care and they would be a great match for you. I will call the adoption specialist. And she would call, but that adoption specialist would never call us. And so when it when it came down to our situation with, with Luke, the judge had ordered him out of foster care to do uh, legal risk adoption. But the judge ordered that both parents had to have a medical background. And so Judy said, I have the perfect couple. And so we were open for like four days before we got a call about Luke. And we were going, this isn't supposed to happen. They told us it could be four (laughs) years. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it was awesome. But at the same time, we're going, we're not ready. You know, we're not ready for all of this. Are you ever really ready, though? No, you're not ever really ready. I'm still not ready. You know, it's just uh, life is life is crazy. And and so here we have have this kid. And so I remember the morning after waking up and going, 
my entire life just changed. But for you two, it wasn't really that much of a change as much as it was more responsibility. Yes, but I, I do have to point out, we have a seven-year age gap between our third child and our twins. And so we were out of the baby stage for a, you know a handful of years at that point. So it was kind of for us almost starting over with three babies. And so we went from no babies to three babies in diapers overnight. And it was that first 24 hours was extremely overwhelming. But um, 24 hours, I'm thinking like first year. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, we kind of went into survival mode. Our brains did for the first year or two. Um, And just trying to make sure we did everything right for the kids was our main concern. You Mm. know, getting that good attachment going, pulling them from daycare and just being at home 24-7, which can be overwhelming um, in itself. But, you know, you just kind of do what you need to do to set them up for success. Yeah. And so with your biological children, did they ever express any concern once it did happen, once now there are three babies in the home? We had the first um, instance, actually, the day we went and picked up our sweet Charlotte, our the first baby that came into our home, who was our youngest. Um, our son was very adamant that he did not want another girl in the house, you know, that we had told him we were bringing a boy (laughs) and, you know, and and he's the middle child on top of that, you know, at that time. And so um, they were with friends and she let me know that he was very vocal even to them. And so we go to pick up our kids on the way home after we had picked up Charlotte and he looked at us and he said, I just want to see her. And so I opened the car door and she was sound asleep and he just... I mean, he just fell in love with her, I think, more than anybody. And he just, I mean, he really did. His body, he was just like, oh, you know, and it was just, it kind of lifted his spirits. And he kind of, I think that's when the Holy Spirit just kind of showed him, yeah, this is right, you know. Yeah. Uh, You know, I've always said when when it's the right thing, everything falls into place Mm -hmm. with with everybody concerning, Uh, at least within the home, you know, maybe not still family, outside family, um, they still have their issues, but that's their issue and that's not our issue. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, were there any, any push from your family about, no, you probably shouldn't do this? I mean, there was, I'll just, I'll just say there was, um, we definitely had a few that were very vocal. Yeah. But in the end, we both just recognized that, Hey, this was our decision. Um, that was probably one thing I wasn't expecting, but in the end, and now don't take that the wrong way because most, you know, 80% of our family is amazing, loves the girls and never once would ever treat them. I mean, my, my father adopted us. And so, uh, there's value in that, Mm. but yeah, that was one thing we weren't expecting, but in the end you recognize, Hey, that's your problem and you're missing out on a lot. Absolutely. I, I tell people quite often, uh, to tell others, I appreciate your opinion, but understand you don't get a vote. Yes, and exactly. we don't have to own their emotions. Right, that's those are theirs. Right, you know. In in moving forward, um, I know how my schedule is with a six year old. <laughs> it's just absolutely crazy. I, I remember his first day of daycare at Baptist Health. Uh, Jennifer's a Baptist employee, and we walk in there, and they're giving us these forms for a fundraiser that they are doing, their PTA at the daycare. 
is doing a fundraiser and he had to sell all of these Domino's pizza savings card. And I'm going, he's two years old. Like That's for you to sell. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> how is he going to sell those? Uh, but that kind of, those kind of things just kind of struck all of a sudden. And then having to do physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy twice a week, uh, it became a very busy uh, for us to try to make all of these appointments and to get him. And the people who did those therapies that would come to his daycare weren't always the best people for him to be seeing. Uh, and so we, you know, would would try to get private companies that that were very well versed in, in working with uh, problems that he had. And so you mentioned that when your children were taken into care, that there were some therapies that mm-hmm. uh, that they had to take. Uh, were were those things that that really uh, made it more burdensome uh, to try to get them and get everything arranged? Um, not necessarily. Um, so they we ended up pulling them from daycare after like two months, and um, I decided to just focus on them for the most part. Um, I kind of stepped back from my photography, which I was doing full time on top of another job. And so just kind of put the focus more on them. And that really just freed up the time that I needed to um, get them to and from therapies, um, which it was really just the twins also. And occupational therapy, physical therapy, really, we were just trying to play catch up. Mm. Um, and then vision one of our therapy. twins has done some vision therapy. That's probably been the biggest headache out of everything because there are only three actual certified um, places in Arkansas that are certi- board certified to do vision therapy. And um, so Fort Smith was the closest, um, but they Which, were they were full. We are. And, uh, Which that's a hour... 20 minutes, 30 minutes. From Fort Smith. So we were actually, we've been driving to Searcy. So, um, which was almost two hours before they completed this newer highway. So it's a lot faster now. I was about to say, that's not closer. No, it's not. But they have a Chick-fil-A there that my daughters love the indoor playground. (laughs) Yeah. That's the highlight of the day. Yeah. So I was driving every week with twin three-year-olds and a two-year-old to Searcy, almost two hours sitting there for an hour for her to do vision therapy. Then we would go eat lunch and then drive almost two hours home. Mm. So that was probably the most inconvenient thing. I mean, I've definitely learned that sometimes the most inconvenient things are the most important things. Absolutely. And you just do it. And so, and it's made a big difference in, you know, for her. And the thing about it was, was that Stacy wouldn't tell you, she's been probably the biggest advocate for, for the girls. And so coming in, I mean, she's the one fighting for them, making sure they get everything they need, uh, the medical care, just different things like that, that, that these kids, you know, a lot of kids don't have that. So she's been really good and adamant and goes into mom mode and make sure things get done. So Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of advocates, uh, there is an organization called CASA, which is yes. Court Appointed Special Advocates for yeah. Neglected and Abused Children. And uh, it's, it's, an inter, uh, it's a U.S. organization, so it's in all 50 states. And, and I am a CASA worker. I'm not active doing it. Uh, I took a break. You can't do it while you're in an adoption foster process. And so I never just really got back into it. But a lot of people don't understand is that that advocacy ends when the parental rights are terminated. 
you know, they are, they are, once they are in an adoptive home, that CASA is no longer there for them. And so who is their advocate at that point? And if the, if the workers are already overworked and underpaid, I might add, who is going to be their advocate if the adoptive home isn't? Yeah. And let me throw something else at you. Our kids didn't have a CASA worker. And they were in foster care from nine months old. And I think our adoption was finalized right after they turned three. They, I don't even know how many caseworkers they, they had had. Yeah. Nobody knew where their birth certificates were. I mean, it was, it was kind of a nightmare, them being in the system. Um, they were some of those forgotten children mm-hmm. because they had been placed with a family member. Yeah. So they were kind of forgotten if yeah. we're being honest. Their ad litem, who is the attorney that represents the children in the court cases for DCFS, met them one time, and it was right before our adoption. I was about to say, that was, he drove up to Because our he had to, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, I mean, we went nine months, and nobody knew these kids but us, mm. you know. Yeah, and, and you know, that's the, the sad thing about it is that these kids do slip through the cracks, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes they become just a number on a page than who they actually are. And so in, in, in retrospect, how would things have been different had there been somebody there advocating for them? Um, they probably would have terminated the rights sooner than they did. Um, our youngest child probably would have been pulled from the home sooner than she had. I think that, you know, they maybe would have been able to be adjusted in a home faster. Mm -hmm. Now, a a lot of people may not understand, but I'll I'll give this scenario. A mom in a home has two kids and she uh, goes on a drug binge and they take the kids out of the home. Mom is pregnant, but when mom delivers, there is no drugs in that baby system. That baby goes home with her. That baby is not automatically removed from the home. And so there are times that I look at that and go, hmm, if she can't have her two older ones, then why can she now take this baby home? Yes. Um, and so uh, being a separate incident, incident um, there isn't that. So I assume that may be kind of what um, happened in your case, being that the youngest was taken um, at, at well, a separate time. Not, she was born every... in a different state, yeah. and different okay. states have different rules. Got you. So, um, but yeah, when she was removed, it was considered a second case. So the twins were not on the same case as mm-hmm. the youngest one. And so um, they ended up in the end combining their cases and terminating all the rights at the same time. But that wasn't until you went to them and said, hey, shouldn't these be combined? I mean, it was they were still handling this two separate cases throughout mm-hmm. the process. Yeah, which means two different caseworkers. Uh, two different ad litems in a lot of cases, two different uh, attorneys for DCFS in some cases, and it just makes a big mess when you when you start getting these things. And and also, which you mentioned, they had many different caseworkers and resource workers, yes. and we saw that too. Like we would have somebody show up at our home with a DCFS badge. And say, oh, I'm I'm Luke's new caseworker, and I'm going, and you think I'm going to let you in my home because you have a badge? Like, there should be a little bit more accountability. Some than, kind of protocol. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, and then, you know, when his CASA worker showed up to our home, it was the same thing. And had I not been familiar with what the CASA program was, 
I probably would not have let this lady in my home. And, and so there comes this point where the biggest frustration for us was the lack of communication amongst the team. And I'll air quote the team because mm-hmm. it almost felt like there was all of this inner workings that was taking place and you were the last one to find out. Yes. we. I mean, I drove three and a half hours every three months to the court hearings because if I didn't go, I didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, also, we were told one thing, and then we found out, oh, the caseworker really had no idea what she was talking about, Mm -hmm. and it told us something that was completely opposite of what was actually going on. And so um, definitely a lack of communication. I mean, our adoption was postponed because of lack of things getting done at DCFS, and we eventually got the lady over DCFS in the Little Rock area involved and got it our adoption you know done we're just missing paperwork constantly you know yeah that sort of thing uh, so they, i agree with you on, on that for did sure they tell you in pride anything you send to them make three copies for yourself because you'll have to send it yes. at least two times more yes. we ended up yeah. getting the uh the local state representative or state center yes. involved and he was just a godsend to help us get that yeah. through but i mean and and i know it seems you know heavy on uh, the issues with with the state agencies, but but those guys work so hard with so little, and I mean they may have thirty or forty cases, and it, we had to remember that. And so when they did show up, that might be their thirtieth visit that day. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, right now, right now it's uh, between fifty to sixty to one, and that's impossible. Yeah, I, oh, I mean, that's for sure. just impossible. We can have all of these ideas about how to to fix the system, but each case plan is different. I mean, it literally is. And and uh, I, I how we connected, I think, was through the Arkansas Foster Support Group. Is that how we connected? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which I'm I'm the administrator of that group, and what I found was that somebody would ask a question. And they would get 14 different answers from mm-hmm. 14 different foster homes. And the problem is, is that in some counties, this is okay. But in this county, that's not okay, and you're not going to do it. And, and for instance, and, and this has been several years ago, um, used to, if you wanted to post a picture of your family, you just had to blur out the foster child's face. Mm-hmm. Now you can't even post a picture with their body or anything in it. And I can understand the confidentiality side of that, but also that that's just a whole lot of life that that is missed there. And so to get all of these different different ideas, and so I have to remind people often on that page is just because it was okay for this parent and that's the way they did it doesn't mean that it's going to be okay with you. Mm-hmm. And even in our case, when Luke got a new caseworker, things were different. Things were changed. Was that an issue in, in your home as well? Things changing. Mm-hmm. We we didn't have a lot of communication with our <laughs> caseworker. She was three and a half hours away. So, gotcha. I mean, unless I'm 
you know, calling constantly, texting, trying to get an answer to a question. I mean, we really didn't have much communication. I think she came in maybe three times in that year. Well, we, she actually never came to our home. Um, so what they do, if you have a child who is in a county three and a half hours away, they, they assign you what they call a secondary caseworker. Mm-hmm. So a secondary caseworker is a caseworker that lives in your county that works for your local DCFS. And they come out once a month and spend, you know, 30 minutes or so there. Um, to kind of check on the, the welfare of the child. Now, I think we had one, maybe two people who came more than once over a year time. I mean, it was like constantly changing. Hmm. So, yeah, and you know, ours was as as silly as the new caseworker said, "No, the fire escape plan can't be on the refrigerator. It has to be in this part of the home." Where the other person said, no, put it on the refrigerator. That's the easiest place. And I'm going, <laughs> okay. Or the fire extinguisher had to be so many feet from the stove instead of in a central location where the other caseworker told us to be. And so it, it just became so <laughs> overwhelming as to, okay, what is it going to be this time? Um, you talked about getting with your state representative. I remember there was a point in our case where I got so disgusted that I called the governor's office and talked to the DCFS liaison, and I immediately got a phone call from the director. And so while I would not just advocate for people to do that if they weren't getting an answer, it works. So yeah, you know, eventually you just get to that point, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Doc Bryan said, if it's not working, call your state rep. That's right. I did. And uh, I'll stand behind that all day. And it really doesn't matter if it's adoption or if it's Social Security, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, use your state representatives. That's what they are there for. Now, you, you also mentioned um, that there was some things the caseworker told you that wasn't really what was going on. Mm -hmm. Typically, when a child comes from kinship and is placed in an adoptive home, the parental rights have been terminated. Mm -hmm. But you found that that wasn't the case. So our situation, we were actually considered another kinship placement because I was friends with her, who was part of the family. But you had never and met I knew the her. children. I'd never met the children before, okay. but I was friends of the family. Gotcha. And so um, we that's how we were looked at. And so they moved in with us. Um, we actually, you know, five years ago, you could call your local DCFS resource worker and say, hey, I want to switch my home from adopted to foster. She pushes a button on the computer. It's done. Can't do that anymore. Can't do that anymore. Mm-mm. Um, so that's what we were able to do at that time. And the kids moved in with us as a foster placement. However, you know, like I said, we had a brand new caseworker. She had told us that the rights were being terminated a month after that. I go to court and realized that's not anywhere, you know. Yeah. So was it that the goal was still reunification? The goal was still reunification. And so, um... At that time is when, you know, we had to kind of realize, okay, this is not the scenario we were told, but we said yes to God that we would take these kids in. And so let's just see where it goes. Um, You know, nine months later, we're still, you know, coming to a close with that situation where they were, you know, coming to terminate parental rights. But, you know, it's never an open and shut case in those circumstances. And so you were talking earlier about, you know, how you couldn't foster because you couldn't let a kid go home. But um, I think at that point, we had just 
you know, how can we not foster these kids? You know, no matter the outcome, my prayer just became, you know, God just placed them in whatever home or situation they need to be in where they um, learn about you. They become um, one of your children. They, you know, they accept Jesus as their savior. Like that's the ultimate goal in life, you know. Um, So wherever they need to be for that to happen just became my prayer. And that's where I found my peace. Yeah. Not me. I'm like they can't go home. They're with <laughs> us. I ain't nobody taking these. Nobody babies. taking my babies from yeah. me. Yeah. So she's better than I am. Yeah, and that's that's where I would have been too. Uh, you know, but I, I do have to remind myself, even in in counseling with foster parents, is that your goal as a foster parent is reunification. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the true. whole point of mm-hmm. foster parenting is reunification. When that goal comes from reunification into adoptive, foster parents aren't supposed to be involved anymore. They're supposed to be moved to an adoptive home, but because of the lack of resources and and, and the advocate being for the child and not for the uh, parents who are looking for adoptive uh, children, that kind of gets misplaced there. At that point, I'm sure there was a lot of anxiety on the front end of it, though, because mm-hmm. I I, even, I remember having the thought, holding this precious boy in my hands while he is sleeping, and me sitting there on the couch holding him and going, God, don't let them take him away from me. This just can't happen. You know this this can't happen. Did did you? And I, I know that you said you prayed and you had that resolve, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there had to be that that I don't want this to happen, and if this happens, I don't know what we're going to do, or how are our children going to be affected mm-hmm. if they take these children away? Mm-hmm. That was the biggest, uh, probably one of the biggest reasons why we didn't sign up originally to foster was we don't want to put our kids through that. We had some other close friends that did foster, and that's it takes a special person to be able to to bring these kids in and, and love them, but, but know that there's that opportunity that you know, they will be reunified with their right. family. And um, and love them from afar. Yes. And so um, when when we faced that and when we flipped from adopt to foster so that we could bring the girls in, I it it was. I mean, you you were fearful and you did fear a phone call one day or, or what at least I did. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, we're all still human, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and one thing that happened in our situation was after rights were terminated, uh, there was a grandfather in New Mexico that called and said he wanted mm-hmm. Luke. And that's when I learned that once parental rights are terminated, there's no longer any kinship. Mm-hmm. There there is nobody who has any right or any claim to that child. Yes. How did they explain that to to you, or or did that that even occur since it was a kinship placement? Um, I actually had some friends that kind of worked with CASA, like mm-hmm. in the office, and so that's really where I got most of my information about things. So that's who I would call and ask questions to, and they were really able to kind of explain that to me. Um, you know, we did have some family members who, you know, said that they were going to do this or do that. But, um, you know, we have to remember that those family members also have to pass background checks. They have to be able to have their home 
you know, organize for a child because that child is still in foster care. So they're coming into their home still, you know, um, in custody of the state. And so in the long haul, you know, none of that worked out um, in their favor for that to happen. And so the kids, you know, just ultimately stayed with us. Yeah. Which um, is good. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. Which, yeah, which but is the good. family members were, were letting on that they were good. Uh, yeah, we, our happen. emotions were definitely toyed with, you know, mm. for the for a while. And um, it's all good now. It's all good now. <laughs> and so uh, I guess probably the most unique thing about your story is that your adopted girl's biological mother mm-hmm. is now a part of their life. Yes. So um, she was a teen mom. And so she was very young when the twins were born. She actually spent some time in foster care herself. So she, it was kind of a generational, you know, kind of thing going on. And, you know, she, I mean, in my opinion, she really didn't have a chance. She didn't have a support system. She didn't have a supportive family um, or anything that she needed to have to be set up for success. And so it wasn't hard to have empathy you know, for her situation. I always, you know, gave her tons of pictures when, like, I would send them to her. She wasn't, she didn't do visits until, like, I don't know, I think she did two visits uh, in that year. But um, I always made sure she got pictures because I didn't ever wanted her to worry. And in the end, um, when we, when she did do a visit, uh, she looked at me and she said, because she knew they were going to terminate rights. And she said, you know, if if you do adopt my kids, will I ever see them again? I mean, when I look at her, I see my kids. And I mean, what I mean, these kids are gonna grow up and they're gonna have to read everything that happened on paper, because it's all mm. on paper. And they're gonna have their own healing process that they sure. have to go through as teenagers or adults or you know, whenever that happens. And anything that I could do to lessen that burden on them you know, is, is, was my goal. And so we talked and kind of gave her, um, a scenario of if you can, you know, get clean for a year and, uh, before they turn four years old or by the time they turn four years old, then we would love for you to be able to be a part of their life and, some way, shape, or form. You know, we didn't know what that was going to look like. Mm. Um, there's no manual on this at all. Um, but eventually, you know, we kind of became a little bit of her support system for a while, and uh, eventually she was able to do that. I would assume, though, there had to be very clear boundaries. We do have uh, pretty clear boundaries. You know, she she doesn't live by us either, so she she lives three and a half hours away. And so there are probably some boundaries we didn't really have to deal with sure. uh, because of the circumstances um, in where we live. And our kids are young, so it's not like they have, you know, cell phones or anything like that either. And so... Um, what, they're how old and they uh, don't the have a cell phone? No. The twins are about to turn seven and Charlotte is five. I was never more embarrassed to have to explain the AT&T guy that I was buying a new iPhone for my three-year-old son because I was tired of him playing games on my phone. Yes. Oh, my and, goodness. Yeah. And so, uh, but we won't go into all that. Those are my issues, not yours. <laughs> um 
Now, that brings up, though, the interesting question, um, which, you know, there really is no such thing as open adoption in the state of Arkansas unless no. it's pre-planned. Yeah, you, not through DCFS. Right. It's, it's just not possible. Right. So. Um, and so in our situation, we were not told who the parents were. And we only found that out after they brought in like the eight bank boxes of medical records. Mm -hmm. And I began to go through them and categorize between pulmonary and cardiology. And in this report, they redacted the first name. And mm -hmm. this report, they redacted the last name. And so putting it all together, then I find out who these people are. And my wife and I really had to sit down and have the conversation about when are we going to tell him if we're going to tell him that he's adopted. Mm -hmm. Now, it sounds like in your situation, that wasn't ever a conversation you were going to have because the mother, the biological mother, could possibly be in the picture. So mm -hmm. as as I'm going to ask her for a minute, because and then we'll we'll look <laughs> at dad's point of view here. Um, but as I assume they call you mom. They have from day one. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so how does it make you feel for them to understand that you're not their biological mom? Or have you gotten to that crossroads yet, even with them being as young as they are? Oh, yeah. So we've always, we want it to be a normal conversation for them. We don't want them to feel different. We mm -hmm. don't want them to have any shame. And so we've always tried to keep it on their level as well. So as they get older, conversations will lengthen, they will change. So it's always been from the get-go. I mean, we have pictures of her holding them the days they were born. I have encouraged, you know, on their birthdays, you know, for her to talk to them about the day they were born. And I, I mean, I think it's good for her too, you know. Mm -hmm. I want to honor her because, I mean— she was a teen mom. I mean, she could have gone and had an abortion. She could have, you know, there are so many different, you know, options that she had. And she chose to have these kids and to give these kids life. And she loves these kids. And so I wanted to honor her in those ways. And so we kind of just always have, you know, you know, you grew in her belly. That's why you look just like her. Look how beautiful you are, you know, and, um, <clears throat> and, you know, but she wasn't able to be your mom and God chose this family for you. And we're so happy he chose this for you. I mean, we've had conversations within the last two months and our five-year-old yesterday, um, she thought all of our kids were adopted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she doesn't, you know, we're, she's just getting to some of that stuff. And she's not the only one of those three who thought all of our mm -hmm. kids were adopted. And I had a conversation about a month ago with one of my twins and she said something about, you know, being in my belly. And I said, well, don't forget, you know, you didn't grow in my belly. And she said, oh, yeah, I forget that sometimes. And I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, I do, too. Yeah. And I know that is not the case with every adoptive mom either. I mean, I have many conversations and I really appreciate that. I have always felt that about my kids. Um, this, I mean, I really do sometimes kind of I feel the exact same way as if I had birthed them myself. It was that picture. That it it must have been that first picture. I mm. mean, that love at first sight. I mean, it really it really has been that for me. And I feel so blessed that it has been that way because I know that that's not always, you know, the outcome. Yeah. And so uh, while we've not ever physically met Luke's biological parents, we know who they are and have watched over Facebook and 
And I, for one, can say I'm so glad that he was adopted, not just to us, but out of that lifestyle, mm-hmm. uh, because this certainly losing a child did not change any of that. Um, but in your case, did you ever get to a point of where you thought we probably shouldn't have given her the opportunity to be a part of her children's life? No, not at all. I'll take that one. Go for um, it. The, the birth mom uh, has just been amazing, and and we've gone through this process with her. Um, in fact, um, I've I have some family members that uh, have been in a uh, a rehab facility. Um, um, my mom had a seventeen battled a seventeen year drug addiction. Uh, she came out of that. 14, 14 or 15 years Almost ago. Almost 14 years ago. And is still there as the assistant director. You know, mm. 14, 15 years later, just an amazing uh, testimony there. And we actually were able to connect the birth mom to to where my mom's at. And so my mom has her in the program and is working with her. My mom's like, I feel like it's one of my daughters. Yeah. And so, uh, but yeah, the birth mom came out of that. She met all the, the, the stuff that we had laid out. And... Um, she's about to get married. Um, she's in college now. She has um, a child of her own that, you know, is over uh, a He year. just turned two. Yeah, just turned two. Mm-hmm. And so we could not be prouder of the birth mom and, and getting to watch her come out of this. Uh, it's been amazing. But that's her story. But, but yeah, we've never once felt like we shouldn't have uh, done what we did. We felt like that was the Lord throughout it. Yeah, we've always wanted, I mean, she got, um, clean and sober. She got saved. Uh, you know, she's living, you know, a life with God and, and walking with Jesus. And I've always wanted that for my kids um, to be able to know her as that new person and grow up knowing her as who she is now before they have to read about who she was in the past. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, that's also kind of the scary part of Okay, when they grow up and they do read this, are they going to look at her in a different light? That is, this is a negative light. But in in your situation, you are preparing them to see all of the good as oh, opposed yeah. to all of the bad. Isn't that what we all want to look for, though? Look for the good. I don't know that that's what we all want to look for, but <laughs> yes, that that's what we should be looking for. Uh, in, in these in these instances, but with most situations, I would say there probably wouldn't be that much grace that would be extended to a biological mother who had had rights terminated. Had it not been for you being adopted, had it not been for your mother having substance abuse issues, it, it was all of those things that culminated together for you to want to give her a chance. For yes. you to to mm-hmm. and so, uh, you know, when it bowls all the way down, it was all uh, well. As as believers, we know it was all preordained. God knew all of this was going to happen, and He prepared our hearts for it. But at, at at a point in time, in in raising them, have you ever worried that they may resent their mother because she didn't fight for them and because she didn't get clean to take care of them. I'm not. I don't know. I would. I wouldn't think so. They. They love her. Uh, 
the way we've always, or I guess because it is constantly changing, but the way it's kind of been explained is, you know, um, she just wasn't able to to care for you. She wasn't able to take care of you the way that you needed to be. And mm-hmm. So um, I don't think there would ever be that resentment. I mean, um, I know there will definitely be healing that needs to take place. Yeah, for sure. And that there will, you know, be some type of grieving process, you know, to get there. But it'll be a lot easier, though, given the fact that, this is somebody that has been to our house for Easter mm-hmm. and right. does come to birthday parties. And, and yeah. so, but she's a part of their life, but they're not a part of her life. Is that how you would explain it? Mm-hmm. We've and been trying to figure this out along the way, you know, yeah. <laughs> like how to keep so, those boundaries, what that means. So in, in other words, that would, for example, she could come to your house for Easter, but it's not like they're going to her house for her birthday or for exactly. their birthday. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, which I think is a very clear boundary uh, mm-hmm. and very necessary boundary. What has there, and there may not have been, but what interaction has there been between the children and the biological mother that really just made you say, mm, we might not want to consider this? <laughs> I don't know that there's really been any yeah not not necessarily for stacy uh for me there's still that uh protective dad type deal and and so when when they are together i mean we're all together and so it's never and it's not because we don't trust anybody somebody wouldn't be in my home if i didn't trust them right uh but just as a father you're just always watching and listening and just trying to be protective but there's never been anything where we flinched and been like yeah that's not gonna work yeah and so, and she's never pushed back on. Stacy and her have always had a wonderful relationship, and they talk pretty regularly and text and communicate. So, she's never pushed back really on any of the boundaries she's that Stacy's put. Like yeah. seriously, she's amazing. amazing. I mean, she really does love these girls. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and so as I said, this is just a, a wonderful portrait of Grace. That that you are able to have on her, and that God has on us, and in, in providing uh, the things that we want to children that have the need. And so uh, I remember, and as as you have said, um, I remember being in that stage between being open and not having a child, and and then that stage of getting a child and the adoption taking so long, and for mm-hmm. the termination of rights to to go on so long, what would your words to someone who is in that position, what would your words of encouragement be to them? First of all, it's okay to have breakdowns. Mm-hmm. It's okay to be human <laughs> and just stay the course and just trust the outcome. I mean, honestly, I don't know how people who don't have you know, that relationship with Christ would be able to walk through this and still have such a positive outlook in the end whether it's a good outcome or bad. Because, I mean, nobody walks through this unscathed. Mm. Everyone's forever changed. But I would definitely just, you know, encourage them, you know, make sure you're relying on God and not the people around you. Yeah, and and I would agree uh, it is okay to have a breakdown. For sure. It it is okay to have a breakdown. And uh, I can remember on the days of where they would be going to court over an appeal, and the caseworker would call me that morning and say, "Hey, we're going to court today. Um, we're we're fighting an appeal." 
And then at 6.30, you still hadn't heard anything from the caseworker who called you just this morning to tell <laughs> you that this was taking place. And in our case, we couldn't go. You can't go to the yeah. appeals. Yeah. And so then it's four or five days later, we hear back from the caseworker and she says, oh, well, nothing happened. There was a continuance. And I'm going, well, thanks for letting me stress about this, you know, mm -hmm. for the last 72 hours. Mm -hmm. And so... I think words, a word of encouragement to these others that are facing that is, while it shouldn't be normal, it is normal. Definitely. And learning to give up things that you don't have control over, I think it taught me a lot <laughs> um, as far as that goes is, you know, realizing um, the lack of control we actually have, mm. you know. Uh, not just over fostering or adopting, mm -mm. but the lack of control that we have over our life. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything and you're can... going to mess up. There's, there's going to, you're, you're not going to do it perfect. And there's going to be days that you get to the end of it and be like, yeah, I messed up today or it wasn't a good day, but it's everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I think that more so now we're living in a generation where people know that it's okay to, to not be okay. My infamous quote is, However you feel, it's okay to feel that way because God made you to have those feelings. We have those feelings. Just don't unpack and live there. Mm -hmm. And and so we are becoming more, I think, in this generation aware that it's okay to express those feelings and those emotions. You know, when my son gets mad, my wife may say something to the effect of, well, you just need to calm down. You need to do that. And I'm going, let him be mad. Mm -hmm. You know, let him... As long as everything is safe, you know, he's not trying to hurt anybody or himself, let him be mad until he's not mad anymore. Uh, and and I know the generation I grew up in, if you got mad, well, you better not say anything about it because you was going to be even more mad <laughs> when you got the punishment for being mad. And so it, I think it's important for us to let our kids know, whether they're biological or whether they're adopted, that it's okay to own to a mess up. It's okay to know that I'm not going to do everything right. But I think it's equally important for them to see that in us as parents, too, mm -hmm. that we own that as well. And we try to, Stacy's got a pretty big following as far as social media. And we had a hashtag through it all of Howl Party of Eight, and mm -hmm. people still joke around about that with us. But uh, the biggest thing is don't compare your normal everyday to somebody's selfie because. Most of the times what you see on social media are, you know, somebody's selfie moment, and that's mm -hmm. them capturing, you know, that perfect moment that they probably took five different pictures just to get that one to you post. You mean 50 different pictures. Yeah, 50 different <laughs> pictures. And yeah. so uh, don't compare your normal to that. And so we're, we we joke around, and I a lot of times I'll talk about dad fails and because um, it happens. And so, yeah, definitely don't compare your normal to somebody's right. selfie moment. Yeah, and not just with foster adopt, with anything. With anything. Yeah. Yes. I tell my teenager all the time, you know, quit trying to be good enough. You're never, ever going to be good enough. That's why we have Jesus. Mm. If we could be good enough at anything, we wouldn't need him, you know? Yeah. So. So if someone were considering to adopt, where would you tell them to start? Church. <laughs> Pray. <laughs> um, I would say um, definitely check in with your county. If you're in Arkansas, see if they have a call. 
it's usually faster to do your classes that you have to complete through the call. I know in Russellville um, area, our DCFS, well, last year anyway, they were, were sending everyone to Conway DCFS to do pride classes. They, they're not even offering them, or they haven't been, unless that's changed in our own county. So, um, and that's hard for people to drive, you know, 45 minutes. Sure. And then sit through classes on a weeknight, you know, um, and then drive back, especially if they have kids, you know, in, in their home already. So I would say check with the call. Um, you do have to have a church home if you go through them. But um, I know they're still doing, you know, classes. Yeah. And and with the call, you can do all of your classes in two weekends. In two weekends with huh. an extra weekend open in between. And they usually provide um and sometimes even cover, depending on what county you're in, your CPR classes. Mm-hmm. Which that's the call in Arkansas.org. Okay. And, so. and we're but, the only state who has a program like that. Yeah. And we'll, of course, put that in the description of this podcast. Um, but I also want to note, while the call is two weekends to to finish it, going through DCFS is a class, two classes a week for like seven weeks. Yeah, I think it's seven weeks. In, in the nighttime. And uh, the other thing about the call is typically when you do have pride class, if you have children, they will provide child care at whatever church that they're doing their, uh, their training at. And so there are a lot of uh, different um, things that, that just make it better. And in the end, I felt like I had a better advocate with the call than I would have just been a number on a page going through and That's DCFS. great to hear. Every county is different. Mm-hmm. So I would say you're in a great county for that. Yeah. They always call me wanting to check, but they always answer my call. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And yeah. then be sure to include, I know you will, but Project Zero is amazing. You know, and they have the heart gallery. Well, you have mm-hmm. to be an open home to inquire about any of the children. So all of your paperwork yeah. and all of that has to be completed. Okay. Yeah, but... If you're considering adopting, go to the Arkansas Heart Gallery and look at some of the children. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Just about all of them have a video now mm-hmm. of where they talk. I watched one the other day where uh, this boy was like eight or nine years old. And they said, what is your, what do you want in a family who adopts you? And his answer was to know that I'm not going to be killed. Mm-hmm. And wow. it just broke my heart. You know, to think that a child that age has to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so so often we just, I think sometimes we become blind to the problems that other people have. Absolutely. And, and they, other people become numbers on our page instead mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. at other places. So I know the, uh, they had the heart gallery traveled around for a bit too. Mm-hmm. And we were able to put that up in our church and yeah. um, it's real touching and just to get to to see that. And she spent a lot of time on the website, you know, reading the stories and looking at bios and prior to. Uh, the only problem with that is you fall in love with that kid to find out that they may be in a trial placement home or, you know, mm-hmm. and then you're going, oh, but they were so cute and their personality was just, and, and you know, uh, like like I said, we were we were fortunate, but unfortunate that we didn't see a picture of Luke before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to tell the rest of the story, we picked him up at a liquor store, not at a Starbucks or a Chick-fil-A. So, <laughs> I guess you can't go there uh, to celebrate yeah, everything yeah, like don't, we yeah. do. Don't take him to the, <laughs> yeah. but, but one thing I would say just to draw attention to that I think does get mi- missed is 
I've talked to a couple of social workers that they talk about most of them are second and third generation. So the child will will leave once they hit 18. They're no longer in the system. Um, and then usually it's about four to five years and that child reappears as a parent. Mm-hmm. And so something that where I feel like Arkansas really lacks is those programs for these kids graduating out of foster care. Because once mm-hmm. you're once you're there, you and there's so many um, tools for these kids, mm-hmm. you know, to get education. And but there's really just a lack of manpower that can walk through it with them. And yeah. so, yes. And something else that was brought to my attention is that um, you know once they hit a certain age and they're still in foster care, then the state will pay for them to go to a four year institution in the state. But what they will not cover is a trade school, mm. and. A lot of these kids that have such a traumatic background, especially if they've grown up in foster care um, to an adult age, they they struggle academically, most of them, because they have so much trauma um, that it's hard for them to focus on academics. And so they could really benefit from a trade school where they couldn't, you know, on the other hand, they couldn't spend four years at a four-year institution and be able to stay focused that long. Right. Yeah. And and personally and you're looking at somebody with a PhD but college is overrated I mean <laughs> it really is overrated and it's not for everybody mm-hmm. you know no. and, and uh, at least when I was growing up it was everything you did in high school was pointed towards college and it was worse now oh I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure well uh it was good having you both here with Thank us you. Uh, if if someone from our uh, podcast that listens wants to contact you, what would be the best way for them to do that? We are, like he said, I mean, we do have a pretty big following on Facebook, actually. Um, my name on Facebook is Stacy Morgan Howell. Um, and or the or the website, either one, davidjhowell.com. Okay. Can you spell that for us? Yeah, D-A-V-I-D-J-H-O-W-E-L-L.com. All right. And of course, we'll put all of this at the at the end of uh, in the description of a podcast here. So if if you're in Arkansas and you're looking to adopt or foster, I would strongly encourage you to get with the Call of Arkansas, uh, which is a faith based adoption coalition agency here in our state. And uh, just on behalf of of us here that have adopted uh, we want to say thank you to the foster parents yes. uh, for the for their job and their part. And thank you to the adoptive parents who have found it in their heart to to be able to do that. But also a thank you to the social workers that are seeing these kids yes. in these homes mm-hmm. and this, this, this traumatic uh, events that they are going through. Mm-hmm. And f- trying to find them a safe place to yes. sleep. Yes. All right. Well, I've been Doc Brian. This has been Doc Talks. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. All of my social media links are at the bottom of that web page. And um, come come follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of those social media platforms that I know nothing about. Uh, feel free to follow us there. Of course, Doc Talks is a part of Be Frank Network. You can find all of our podcasts at BeFrankNetwork.com. David, Stacy, once again, thank you so much for sharing your story and being with us today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. We will talk to you next time. Have a great day.